Welcome to The Summit with your co-hosts, Jeremy Turman and Andrew March. The Summit uncovers the true drive and motivation that makes people successful. We talk with amazing individuals to break down how they define success, choose their goals, and their decision-making process as they climb their mountains. On today's episode, we do want to thank our sponsor, Fitzby, an athleisure company designed to re-inspire and further facilitate your on-the-go lifestyle. Check out Fitzby at Fitzby.com, that's F-I-T-S-P-I.com, and use code SUMMIT30 for 30% off. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Summit Podcast. Very excited to have John Tran with us today. Uh, John's the president of Purple Guys, and we'll definitely dive into uh, the the backing and founding of that. But John's an expert in the IT space, um, has had experience from some of the largest companies uh, in the country, and now building an empire here in Kansas City in the Midwest. Uh, So very excited to have you on the show today, John. Very excited to be here. Awesome. And we'll start with our, our normal first question, John, which is, uh, how do you define success? My, my definition of success would be having a positive impact on both myself and those around me. So kind of the, the, the positive impact on the community. Um, and that, that's kind of been my whole career is I've kind of gravitated toward a service-based industry. So that, that I, I think if you can continually uh, improve every single day, just small incremental improvements over time, that, that's kind of the definition of success for me. That's fantastic. So would you say, um, you know, life is always an ever-changing and it, a, dynamic, a dynamic adventure, but what was it that created that definition of success for you? Was it your educational background, professional experience, or just upbringing with your family? What was it that influenced that definition of success for you? Uh, it, it, I would say probably all of the above. Uh, so the, the kind of weird part about the way I grew up, I grew up in a tiny little town in the middle of the woods in the upper peninsula of Michigan. So my, my town had about 2000 people in it max, and uh, it was spread out like as rural as rural gets like think think rural highway two lane in the middle of the woods that was where my house was couldn't see see the nearest neighbors uh i i literally went to a two-room schoolhouse in kindergarten and first grade uh, and then there happened to be an air force base uh, five miles from my house so from second grade on i got bussed onto the air force base my, my parents were not in the military so i was one of the local kids um and so I grew up with just tremendous diversity because of the Air Force Base, like literally people from all over the world uh, and, and tons of cultural diversity, but in a tiny little community. Uh, and I, I just got exposed to that as a, as a kid. Like think about if, if you're, you grew up in a city, but without the city, but all the diversity that was there with the city. Uh, and so when I got through high school and you know, went off to college, my, my culture shock, I went, I went to the University of Michigan. And uh, my, my culture shock was the volume of people. My, my dorm had 2,500 people in it. Uh, but I, I always knew that there were other things out there. I've always kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit of figuring out what else is there. Uh, there's this just big, giant, big, wide world that I you know, met people from all over it uh, when I was a kid. Uh, and so that drive to be part of that world and to interact with it has always been part of what I wanted to do. I, th- I think that's interesting, you know, to your point, John, of, 
you know, growing up in a major city, but getting that experience in a very small town. Yeah. Uh, we, we had a previous uh, episode where, um, you know, the, the guest was from Ghana and, you know, he always dreamed of going to school in America. And it's like, not everyone has that experience to uh, have a diversity in culture and in mindset um, in such yeah. a small community. So when you, you know, went to Michigan and then afterwards uh, to Price Waterhouse, did you know that you always had to then be pursuing that like bigger next step as like a progression or like kind of walk us through how you took that, you know, next step after small town, big, big uh, pre- public school, and then one of the largest big fours in the country? Uh, it, it was, it was just one step after the other. I, I will tell you the thing that that freaked my parents out the most, because when I lived in Chicago, so grew up in the middle of the woods and I lived in a 54 story high rise. I, I, they just felt like it was really weird. You had to take an elevator to get home. Like it was just, just odd. Uh, but just, just the, 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 the crazy diversity that's out there and just the opportunities. And, and again, I, I, my, my degree is in industrial engineering, which is more of a process engineering degree. And then getting that exposure from what was the, I guess it was the big six. It might've still been the big eight way back then. Uh, and in seeing the inner workings of different businesses from a consulting perspective, it was just fascinating to see, you know, I, I worked at a basically a, a convenience store chain in their back office IT systems. I worked at an electric company in their back office. So just getting that diversity over, I was there for four years, but I, I feel like I got a 15 year career packed into four years of time. Uh, and that really kind of got me thinking of, all right, what, what, what can I do? How can I start something? I can launch something. Most of those businesses were really big. Uh, but then you get experience, you get exposed to that diversity. And I, I've always had this itch to kind of own my own thing, do my own thing and create. Um, and so that, that creative energy, I think, is what, what drove the desire to kind of finally launch out and, and take that leap and the risk to start my own thing. Yeah, that is a, you know, a fascinating trajectory. And we've had, we've had guests that have been in a similar position as yourself, where they've had a career that started with banking or consulting that afforded them that very broad perspective on business Mm -hmm. to where they had that, you know, bird's eye view. And that, uh, that enabled them to have that perspective to kind of see areas that were more or less appealing to them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you talk about the creativity and the desire to own something yourself. Like what was your mental thought process in deciding one, you were going to become a business owner? And how did you reconcile that decision with the, the very linear, predictable <laughs> path of consulting and, and corporate life? Like, what was your thought process going through that? So the, the thought process and kind of my, my career path, um, it, it, and anybody that's been exposed to kind of the, the big six or the, the, that consulting side of the world, it, it's a traveling job. I mean, you kind of go place to place, and it's, it's probably a little less now in the, the world of pandemic. But back then, it was you were on an airplane Monday and back on Friday. Uh, and it was a lot of fun when you're single. Uh, and that's actually how I met my wife. Uh, was one of, I was on a two-week assignment based out of Chicago. I went down to Nashville for two weeks. Uh, and my version of the story, she picked me up in a bar. Uh, we did meet in a bar and she did talk to me first. So I'm sticking with that. Um, but 
uh, we, you know, she moved to Chicago, we got engaged and I got sent to Boston for nine months. And so that, that brought that career basically to an end. Cause I looked around and I'm like, the partners in this firm are still doing it. They're still out of town. And some of them would uproot their whole family and go on a project for, you know, two years, which was a possibility, but man, it, it looked hard and it did not look like they were happy. Uh, and that, that's back to the, you know, I, I wanted to have something, but I didn't want to like sacrifice my entire life to make it happen. And I also wanted to be in the same city as my spouse. So that that's what ended the, the Price Waterhouse career. And then did a couple small stints uh, in Chicago and smaller firms and, and got that exposure to the smaller end of the really the computer IT services side of things. And then what, what really got us launched was um, we wanted to actually come to Kansas City. My wife's from Kansas City, which is how I wound up here. Uh, and we decided we wanted to come here and we, we approached her boss with an opportunity and said, hey, you only have a, an office in, in Chicago. I wrote a business plan about how we could launch an office for him in Kansas City. Uh, and in hindsight, it was kind of silly because we even funded it. So we funded it out of my wife's commissions. She was a salesperson for the firm. Uh, but that was, you know, it was kind of one of those offers in, in hindsight. There's no way he would have refused it. I mean, he's losing a really good salesperson in Chicago, but there's no risk. Uh, and so I wrote the business plan, uh, and, and I'm more of an ops guy. My wife is the best salesperson I've ever met. Uh, we came to Kansas city and we were wildly successful in opening a branch office. Um, now I, I did learn a very valuable lesson between what's real equity and what's phantom equity, uh, in that deal. Uh, I had a 38 page operating agreement that spelled out exactly how we were going to get paid. Um, and again, did my homework, did the whole business plan, and we crushed the business plan, like absolutely crushed it. We we came to Kansas City in February or March of 96, uh, so I think it was 28 years old. Uh, and by October, we had paid all of the startup costs back, and we were in the black month over month profitable on a $1 million revenue run rate. I mean, it was crazy fast growth. Um and that's when the owner of the business did the math on the comp plan that was outlined in the 38 page operating agreement and said, well, hang on a second. I can't pay you this much money. Um, and I'm an engineer. I did the math ahead of time. I knew what the money was and I knew what my <laughs> wife was capable of selling. Uh, I'm like, hang on. Yeah, this is what we agreed to. He's like, nope, not going to do it. So we, that, that was startup number two because we, we decided, well, if you're not going to pay us, we're leaving. So we left and started another firm. Uh, and, and entrepreneurial lesson number two is be careful when you go to business with family. So I was obviously in business with my wife, but the second startup was another IT staffing firm here in Kansas City. And my wife's uncle was our financial backing. And in hindsight, we didn't really need financial backing, but you know, being young and naive and thinking you got to be bankrolled by somebody, which you don't. Um, we signed on with her uncle for the financial backing had a one-page operating agreement this time because it's family. Uh, so again, that was a bad idea in hindsight. Um, and, and that business was crazy successful. Uh, so that was in, uh, the, in January of 97, we launched that business, or maybe it was December of 96, somewhere right around there. Um, but we went zero to $10 million in revenue and zero to 90 employees in four years. 
I mean, it was a rocket ship, uh, meteoric kind of crazy growth. Um, and, you know, as, as we were growing that, I, I leaned heavily on, I, I've been in a peer group, like other, you know, roundtable CEO kind of a group my, my whole career, really, because I'm not smart enough to do this on my own. Um, but it turned out that, that that was a wrong partner to pick. Um, as soon as we were profitable, I mean, we entered the agreement with, hey, we're going to, we want to buy the business. We want to own this thing ourselves. Uh, and as soon as we started cash flowing, we didn't want to let go of it. So the, the family dynamic got incredibly toxic. You talked about taking that risk of, you know, you and your wife being at a, a firm that was only in Chicago and you, you built the 38 page operating agreement of how you were going to move all the way to Kansas City. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, now like thinking about uplifting your family and going to a, a new city and starting a new business seems so daunting, but you had the confidence in yourself. Um, yeah. How did you know that was going to be the right bet to, to take that initial first jump? Uh, well, I knew what I was capable of doing from an operations perspective, and I had kind of made the shift to small business. My wife was already kind of in that world selling in it, and I saw what she was able to do. Uh, and, you know, then we, we didn't have any kids at the time, so the risk is relatively low. Like, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? So, you know, we wind up failing and being unemployed and having to find other jobs. So it, it didn't really feel like a giant risk to me. But, uh, I, I figured, and, and in hindsight, I didn't know what I didn't know. <laughs> so I was naive enough to assume this was going to be awesome. Uh, and from a business side, it was awesome. The, uh, the actual growth of the business itself was phenomenal. Uh, but you trust your, it's because it, it's yeah. you have so much trust in yourself. I think that's something yeah. that Sometimes people are so afraid to, again, it doesn't have to be a new startup or moving to create a new branch within a business. It could be like a 10% project at your current company. It could be gunning for a new position at the company that you're at, but you need to trust yourself and you identified, hey, I know my core skill set. I'm going to be very strong operationally and and you're you're methodical and your thought process to execute. You had that framework. So you're like, I'm betting on myself but I'm not too worried because I trust my partner and I know her abilities. I trust myself. Yeah. So us taking this risk and, you know, it seems through those uh, couple of different businesses afterward, it all paid off because your trust yeah. in yourself enabled you to learn. And then that learning turned in um, to more businesses. So then yeah. we, we talk about the creation then of the purple guys. And, you know, for those that are, this is a, a, vi- a, a video recording that you're just hearing the audio. John has an awesome purple guys background. So did the, the creation and, and the thought process of getting more into the IT staffing, IT support, you just love that so much that you're like, let's rebuild this brand now in Kansas City? Well, the, the evolution of purple guys. So I had an IT staffing company in Kansas City. And that, that's the, you know, kind of that crazy rocket ship, zero to 10 million in four years. And a long time ago, I could actually do some of the technical stuff. Um, but my kids will tell you, I can't do anything technical anymore, uh, which is very frustrating to them. Uh, but so I had an IT staffing company that was growing like crazy. I was still trying to do some of the internal staffing or the internal IT stuff. And along that rocket ship, I was just going to hire somebody and get it off my plate. Uh, cause we're a staffing company and I'll just hire somebody and put them on staff. And one of the guys that was, that worked with me, he's like, well, I know somebody that does this part-time. You should outsource it and, you know, outsource your IT support. 
So I thought that was an interesting idea. And we, we hired a two-man shop who came, they came in a couple of times a week and kept our printers going and cleaned up our files. And uh, so that was my introduction to what Purple Guys do right now. And so when we wound up leaving that staffing firm and launching out on our own, um, I, hired, I, I bought their business, but really I hired them and gave them full-time employment. Um, and the, the evolution of what is now Purple Guys, uh, it was not called Purple Guys. Uh, it, but the, the one thing I knew is I wanted to have a purple logo. So the, the business we were in prior had a purple logo. And, and my only good marketing idea was they're, they're purple pens that write with purple ink. Uh, and, it, and we didn't use them for anything other than the pens wrote with purple ink. And I found out that people just love purple pens. Uh, so when I started this business, the only thing I knew was I wanted a, a purple logo so I could keep my purple pen. Uh, and, and that's all, again, when we started what is now Purple Guys, the only thing we had was a purple logo. The name was completely different, um, but we, I kept my purple pens. And, you know, back in uh, 2001, when we started this business, the IT support model that we have when we support small business with their IT, it was all on site. And I had uh, kind of on a whim one day decided, all right, we need a purple team uniform. So I got everybody purple shirts. And we started showing up to our customers wearing purple shirts. And they're like, hey, the purple guys are here. So I'm slow, but I'm not that slow. We're like, all right, fine. You can't remember the actual company name, but you can remember purple. We're the purple guys. Uh, and that's how we became the purple guys. Uh, and it's been a phenomenal brand in the small business sector because I just got to get people to associate the color purple with technology support. And the next time they're frustrated with their technology, which is going to happen because it's technology, uh, I just want a shot at earning their business. And if you Google purple tech support, we're the only thing that comes up. So it is completely accidental, but it has been awesome. It's a really good brand. So I would say, li listen to your customers when they start saying stuff about your brand, because it, it might be some, you might want to follow that as a direction. It's definitely worked for us. Absolutely. That, and that's a fun, fantastic piece to, to bring up because, you know, especially in today's environment where there is, you know, so much venture funding, you know, if we're talking about small business as well as rapidly growing businesses, you know, there's so much funding and it seems like there are a number of entrepreneurs getting started that don't truly understand the problem they're solving and they're not listening to the market and the customers. But I want to take a, a pause and kind of rewind back to what you had said around, you know, having confidence in yourself and your wife's capabilities. Mm -hmm. um, Cause you know, I think most people would agree that hindsight looks very clear. The dots connect just so magically looking backwards. But when you are in those positions of, we've just got to make this work. Yeah. You know, where did that confidence come from? Um, you know, cause I've heard somewhere else where it's like, you know, just putting in the repetitions, doing the work creates the confidence and creates the belief. But like, where did that confidence originate from? Um, but for, for you and then seeing the capabilities in your wife, like where did that confidence come from? Cause I think there are a lot of people that are trying to build their confidence, especially right now during COVID to take that leap, find another job, start a company, but they may not have that self-assuredness that is required to just really get after it. Yeah. Well, I, I would say the confidence comes from knowing that somebody else can do it. So there's nothing like I, like, I don't think anybody else is more special than me. And I don't think I'm really any more special than anybody else. So just putting in the work to do some research. I mean, 
I heard it said success leaves tracks. You know, other people have been there, done that. Like there's very few completely new and original ideas. Uh, and what I have figured out also from kind of what I do now, uh, you know, we only deal with small businesses and, and the business of business is the same in almost every single small business. Uh, you, you've got the same blocking and tackling and you, know, you go back to the very first one I did. I'd never started a business before. I'd never written a business plan, but back then I, I believe I actually read a book as opposed to researching it online. And I just wrote a business plan. Like I figured out what a typical PL statement looks like, figured out how to do a pro forma. I knew the business, so I could put the business lingo into it, but I wrote, you know, wrote down a structure that looked like I did my research. I knew what I, was possible. It was probably overly confident that I had, but we wound up actually knocking it out of the park. But, you know, I took that to, to the business owner and it, like I did my homework. So I was, I was prepared enough. And I guess that's where the confidence comes from is, you know, you can, you can do the research, you can figure out what somebody has been there, done that, leverage their skills. Uh, I'm a huge uh, peer group believer. So I've been in a, several different CEO roundtable type peer groups. And you know, I, just, I just reach out and ask people questions, I'm just, just curious uh, and ask the questions and do the research. And you know, eventually you got to take action. So you, you do have to ultimately pull the trigger and take the leap. Um, but again, when we came to Kansas City, it, it didn't feel like it was you know, that huge of a risk. I mean, yeah, we sold everything we had in, in Kansas or in Chicago and moved to Kansas City, but I wanted to, I wanted to live in Kansas City anyway, and we're coming back home to where my wife was from. So it, it felt like we were gonna gonna be successful some way, and and, it, and it's worked out very well. The peer group. So it's, there's a lot of different groups that I involve myself in. There's from a sales and marketing perspective, there's revenue collective. Um, they're focused on, you know, helping connect sales leaders, sales professionals, marketing professionals, and, and finding ways to help network. You then have other groups like the loop here in Kansas city, which is meant to be more of like a younger uh, millennial group of, of movers and shakers here in Kansas city and finding them to be the next future leaders um, you also have groups like Top Guns, where it's like networking yep. for, you know, people that have been business professionals. And so you have all these different groups. And depending on your age, there's always something for you to get involved in. But I think what's really important is you you have to try to reach out. I don't think any peer group that I've become a part of, I, I've been denied because I'm curious and wanting to grow. And so I think like it's it, it seems like so simple of, oh, find a peer group, find trusted advisors or people that are in the industry um, that you can run ideas off of. But like people will accept you if you just put yourself out there mm -hmm. and especially if you're genuine with your ask. Um, yeah. So for, for those that aren't in peer groups, um, like how, how do you even find a peer? Like, let's just say I'm a young CEO of a startup and I'm trying to find this network. Like. How do you find peer groups then? Uh, for me, it's just, I ask people again, it's like, who do I know that seems successful? What are they doing? Uh, that's how I, I, my first peer group was Vistage. Uh, they're, they're the largest CEO roundtable organization on the planet. Uh, and, and there's several out there. I'm, I'm in a different one called Acumen right now. That's local to Kansas City and it's phenomenal. Uh, but when I joined my first official CEO peer group. I mean, it was, it was a big time commitment. It was a big financial investment, but just like, I mean, so is going to college. Like you, you got to decide that it's important enough to spend the money and put your resources and your time behind it. 
I was the youngest person in the group by far. I was 28 years old. Uh, I think I, I, it, it felt like I was the only person in the group that didn't own my own plane either. So, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I put myself in a, in a room with some very successful people who'd been there, done that, and been you know seasoned uh, business professionals, and that's that's part of back to that confidence. Like I didn't have anywhere near the level of expertise that they had, but I had no problems asking questions and bringing problems to the group and, and leaning on them for, for advice and support. So, so finding it is just, you know, ask other successful people, what are you doing? Who do you hang out with? What groups? Are yeah. I, I'm a super big on LinkedIn. I, I probably spend 30 minutes a day, just like looking through LinkedIn, reading articles, yeah. seeing what other people post, because Again, if you just have an open mindset to learn, you're going to connect with people and, you know, you specialize in, you know, a certain industry. I'm in a different industry as well as Andrew. And it's like, mm -hmm. hey, not everyone is going to be competition for your product. So you might as well find ways of, of how you work together. Yeah. I'm curious because, you know, John, you've taken, you know, four to five years of different businesses or maybe shorter times. And the purple guys, you know, you've been there for a long time. Yes. You're So you're <laughs> innovating and growing the business. Like, is there, is there the, the pink girls come in or, or yeah. is the purple guys always <laughs> going to keep innovating and just go to more and more cities? Uh, purple guys is still, still innovating and growing. And I, I will tell you this business, and I didn't really know that when I started it, but this business kind of by definition of the space we're in really completely changes every three to four years. So yeah, I've been in it almost 20 years, but, and yes, we still do IT support for small businesses, but the way we do support has dramatically changed. It, it's kind of like I've restarted this company at least three, if not four times throughout the history, uh, just because the landscape has changed. And I mean, take the, the recent pandemic. Uh, we were already moving to the cloud and remote workforce and enabling people to work from kind of wherever, but people were just dipping their toe in the water. Like we, we, we support roughly 6,000 people. And prior to the pandemic, there were maybe 10% of them were really truly set up to kind of work from anywhere, work from home. And now all 6,000 are set up to work from home. Uh, I, I feel like it is fast forwarded yet another evolution and a change in our industry uh, that we've had to adapt to. So my, my, my entrepreneurial itch for sort of starting and doing something new gets scratched just automatically because of the IT space and the industry we're in. How do you keep your team like engaged? Like you look at the skill sets and development, like to be able to adapt and go to a new vertical or changing the way business is done, you know, not only do you as like the leader of the business have to identify the course and correction, but then you have to then help educate, teach your team to basically flip every three to four years to your point. So, so yeah. what are you doing as a leader then to help not only yourself be visionary, but then the team executing, have everyone continue on that same trajectory? Uh, communicate as best you can uh, what's going on and, and it's that fine line of do you do you share all of your hopes and dreams, which I would strongly encourage people not to because it'll freak your staff out. Uh, so you got to be clear on, like, here's where we're going and, and stay consistent. And then if there is going to be a change, as much lead time as possible. Uh, and and kind of one of the things we did, and so we, we launched in 2001. And then we were pretty consistently the same kind of a company up until 2006. Uh, and our, our model was prepaid support, but it was mostly 
100% inside the four walls at our clients. Uh, and then we, we needed to shift because the industry was shifting. I was seeing the writing on the wall that the remote support thing was actually coming. The tools were available. So in 2007, we switched our business model and we, we created our, our very first help desk, like the people that actually stayed sitting in a seat and help people remotely. Uh, and that evolution was, it was tough uh, because the people we had recruited and hired wanted to be out and about driving around face to face. That, that was our entire team. And so they pushed back really hard against, you want me to sit in a chair and be on the phone? Like that sucks. Uh, so I was able to sell some of them on it, but some of them like, I don't want this. So they left, uh, and, and being prepared to do that. I mean, communicate as best you can and then just sort of roll with it. But we, we turned over almost hundred percent of the staff in a year and a half when we changed the business model, which was painful. Um, so keeping your customers and supporting your customers while, and our people are the product, like we don't sell a thing. We sell a service. So you know, swapping out at the time, I think we were, we were a 10 person company, um, but swapping out almost hundred percent of your staff in a year and a half, that's a lot of churn. So just kind of a rolling with it, adapting, communicating as best you can, selling people on the idea. Sometimes you can't and they go away. But if, if you're able to continue to execute, which we were, we, we just kept right on growing. That's fantastic. I, I will not say it was easy. It was, there were some sleepless nights in that period. Uh, but again, you believe in the idea that the business is still there. So the, uh, you know, you'd mentioned, you don't always want to share, you know, the hopes and dreams with, with everybody because <laughs> sometimes they can be too, too crazy for other people yeah. to fully digest. But, you know, on that note, what is the, like, how far out do you typically look for creating these visions of yourself and your business? And what would you say, um, you know, is the five-year, 10-year vision for, for yourself and for Purple Guys, you know, what does that future, what does that future look like? And in case any of your employees listen, they're now going to get a <laughs> of what that big, that big monstrous goal is going to be. And we share kind of the, the, the core business goals. And we've always wanted to continue to grow outside of the Kansas City metro area. And so we, we launched and, and opened a St. Louis office back in 2017. Uh, and that, that's, that's worked okay. It's not, not gone as, as well as we wanted, but we want to continue to grow the geography. Uh, so people know that we've shared that. So we, we share revenue goals. We share kind of uh, where do we see the structure going? Uh, and, you know, we'll generally look out and, and share as much detail as we can. And we can't predict the future, but we, we try to have like a three year window out there of a three year vision of what do we want to be, you know, three years from now, where do we want to be? Um, you can't always nail it from a technical standpoint what what's the service actually look like and what skill sets we need to have like microsoft office you know office 365 and teams didn't exist really five years ago i mean there was hosted email but the what is the platform that most people are on right now and the skill sets that go along with with supporting that if i'd have told people they had to all get certified in microsoft five years ago uh, some of them probably would have left um, but that i, I kind of knew that was where things were going uh, and that's what we're tied to. So, you know, we share the kind of the five year, three year to five year vision as, as best we can and kind of where do I see purple guys? Um, 
I, I think we can continue to go grow geographically. The, the tech support industry ain't going anywhere. <laughs> Uh, people still need to be able to pick up the phone when something doesn't work. And that's what we're really good at is answering those questions and being a really customer service centric focused company uh, focused on small business, not big business. Uh, and, you know, the how we provide the support going to continue to change. I think we're going to be able to have a distributed workforce um, just like everybody else has figured it out right now. We weren't sure we could function really, really effectively with everybody not being in the office, but we've proven we can. So just from a recruiting standpoint, you know, I'd like to stay at least in the same time zone if we recruit people, but, you know, staying in the Midwest and you know, we're, we're headquartered in Kansas City, but having part of our help desk staffed out of Omaha or Oklahoma City or Des Moines, or, you know, you know, anywhere else that's kind of the same time zone, that's a possibility now. So it's pretty cool uh, to think about what are, what are the options, but um, you know, it, it just you know depends what, what you want to want to share. Because sometimes if you tell people, well, you're gonna have to work from home, pre-pandemic they wouldn't they probably wouldn't have liked that. Uh, so it's, it's, it's yeah, the, collaborative. The, the evolution will be really fascinating to see. I mean, I know that the remote workforce is something that. You know, again, to your point, John, people used to laugh at, oh, what do you mean work from home? Everyone's got to be in the office. But yeah, yeah. to your point of your, your business having to innovate every three to four years, I think society is being forced now to innovate and oh, yeah. the, the decisions that you make are, are going to be uh, ever standing. So I think, you know, we'll conclude, John, with, you know, uh, kind of around this uh, new innovation, but we always love to hear, you know, what verticals and industries and our products or businesses are you watching on your close list right now? And you're pretty excited to see the growth of either this industry product or business per se. Uh, the, the product to me that we're, we're the most focused on is enabling and securing the ability to work from anywhere. Um, the, the technology is still evolving. I mean, it is evolving almost daily still. <laughs> Uh, everybody jumped on Zoom and then, oops, Zoom's got some security issues. So you had to figure that out. Uh, and, and all of, I mean, again, everybody's adapting and they just, I mean, they fast forwarded development. So the support side of that, uh, well, if you're all in the same place, like the IT support looks pretty standard because everybody's going out the same firewall and they have the same internet connection and they generally have the same equipment. So the evolution of how do you adapt to you know, what's your Wi-Fi connection at home and what piece of equipment are you on? Because it's no longer company issued. It's something you're just using. Um, those are the things I'm super excited about because I, I think it empowers people to work from wherever, which is both good and bad because you don't really shut it off if you're always at home. Uh, but helping to enable the, the small business to leverage technology so they can grow and, and, and leverage what's out there is super exciting to me. Awesome. Well, John, definitely appreciate you uh, jumping on the, the Summit podcast today and really appreciate your time. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you have questions, feedback, and ideas for future episodes, please email us at summitpodcasts at gmail.com. Again, that's summitpodcasts, plural, at gmail.com. Or message us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at summitpodcasts. Thanks so much and keep on climbing.